Hi, this is Greg Lamond, and you're listening to the Velocast at the 2016 Tour de France with Scott Raw, John Galloway, and Ashley House. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Velocast analysis of the 2016 Tour de France. Sport, at its most profound, is a celebration of many of the best attributes of humanity. It forces its participants to be the best that they can be and seeks to inspire those who watch and are thrilled by it to be better people than they are already. Sport, whether extolling the virtues of physical human achievement or more prosaically as simple entertainment, allows an all-too-brief respite from the darker aspects of humanity, its violence, its brutality, its savagery and cruelty. Sometimes, though, events in the wider world come so uncomfortably close that the role of sport temporarily changes to tell the watching world there is solidarity, there is commemoration and there is respect for the tragic loss of life. Such was the case this morning when race director Christian Prudhomme had to make the difficult decision to proceed with today's Stage 13 in the wake of a terror attack in Nice where 84 people lost their lives. The stage went ahead, it was won by Tom de Milan, and we are here with heavy hearts to talk about it. Absolutely astonishing circumstances. I mean, we were um, going to do a show based on the, you know, the, the historic events that happened on the slopes of Ongtu yesterday, and we just had no stomach for it this morning. You know, when eighty-four people lie dead, cycling's the last thing in your mind. Um, and in many ways, I would have been completely understanding of the situation where Christian Prudhomme and his team had decided to suspend racing today, much though it would have affected the outcome of the race because a time trial is a vital, vital bit of it. Ideally, it would have been a road stage because then we could have seen you know, that, that coming together, that display of solidarity from the peloton that we've seen in tragic times in the past, you know, when Ruta Valent lost his life. Um, and a time trial, I mean, we've talked about this, felt strange. I mean, it felt strange to have to watch it. And for the riders, it must have felt even worse. I mean, if you look at um, where many of them are based, you know, look at the Trek riders, you know, their own bikes called Madone which is from the Col de la Madone, which is near Nice. A lot of these guys are based down near where the events happened. So it must have been horrific for them, thinking of their families, their friends, you know, the, the places where they hang out. During Paris-Nice, we've seen fantastic sprints on the, the Promenade des Anglais, which was the, the scene of last night's horrors. So it's really pertinent to the sport. But I'm glad that they decided to carry on and... You know, the least we can do is talk about it. It was a, a great day's time trial and in very difficult conditions. But uh, there was a long, long shadow cast in the race and it'll take a, a while to pass. Yeah, I, I absolutely respect the decision that Prudhomme made this morning. Like yourself, John, I only wish it could have been a road stage so that en masse the peloton could have paid their respects and, and used the event as a demonstration of, as I say, solidarity. But it being a, a, an individual time trial, it, it felt... Wrong, and I found it really difficult to concentrate on it, or frankly care about it, if I'm being honest. Uh, and I really can't imagine that the riders would have found it anything other than similarly challenging the, the, this afternoon. Um, I thought Christian Prudhomme's statement this morning was heartfelt, as was the the statements of, of riders that we heard from. 
Mm. Uh, Proudhon this morning said it's a day of mourning for France and the Tour de France. Uh, we know Nice very we- very well. Each year in March we organise Paris-Nice. We've had an emergency meeting with the Prefect of Ardèche, the police forces, the gendarmerie, representatives of the GIGN in connection with the highest state authorities. Uh, there was a minute of silence at the start village and there, would be a, there was a minute of silence again um, for the podium. There was no podium ceremonies and the jersey holders simply came out wearing their jerseys and black armbands to a minute's silence. Uh, the caravan, the publicity caravan that normally goes ahead of the race did so in silence this afternoon. So, I mean, it was it was well said, very heartfelt. And as I also said, I'm sure you're just about to talk about, John, the comments from the riders were, were equally um, emotional. Yeah, very, very classy. I mean, from Tom Dumoulin, the winner, um, I've... I, Lovely sentiment from him as he finished the race when he, you know, he, he still wasn't clear whether he was going to win. It was a strong ride from him, but by no means decisive at the time. Um, and, you know, then when he was interviewed afterwards, extremely um, thoughtful, considered comments. And then Chris Froome, who cemented his place in yellow today um, for, you know, at least until the mountains, um, said the same thing. He said it was very hard to think about cycling. You know, just what we've been saying. And Ashley House, who won't be joining us, it looks like tonight, because, you know, surprise, surprise, he's in a gorge and he hasn't got any mobile signal. Um, I've been texting back and forth with Ashley all day and the atmosphere and, you know, the the tour family and the village is every bit as sombre as you'd expect. Um, So, you know, the race carried on with heavy heart, but, you know, in the knowledge that you can't let people win by, you know, imposing terror upon you. You have to carry on with your life. There were obvious security measures. You know, there weren't anything like the usual crowds that you see beside a time trial in the Tour de France usually. Um, They'd closed a lot of the access roads. Um, There were some crying foul because Chris Froome in the the yellow jersey got a slightly enhanced security presence with, you know, with some motos uh, because, you know, that's an iconic jersey. It's it's an ideal target if you want to make a big statement. And so he got a bit more protection, which some argued gave him an aero advantage. And frankly, I just can't find it in my heart to care about that today. Uh, But I I thought the whole thing just progressed in a respectful and considered fashion and was exactly the right response. Um, and, you know, chapeau tour, you know, vive la tour, vive la France. You, you mentioned Ashley there. I'd also like to pay tribute to, to him and Juan Antonio Fletcher and indeed, in fairness to Carlton Kirby and Sean Kelly, I'm sure that, and I've seen comments about other commentators here in, in the UK and indeed around the world that they handled it as, as best they could. I, I thought that the commentary team, certainly on Eurosport, who who I was watching, did immensely well under, mm-hmm. under very challenging circumstances from the start of the broadcast right to the end of the broadcast. So, you know, hat off to, to them. But to to the race itself, such as it was, we learned a lot today um, and we were surprised a lot today as well. You know, I used to love racing in windy conditions because when you're a big fat time trialist like me, uh, you can get away with using very, very aero equipment and be reasonably secure. You know, I've, I've done things where I've gone to the turn in a time trial uh, at times where I thought, you know, oh, I'm on for a Scottish record here, I've gone so fast. And then you turn and suddenly, you know, it's it's like a scene from some kind of disaster movie. Uh, but today we saw the lighter riders really buffeted. I mean, the, the wins that they've had for the last two days and which led to 
the curtailment yesterday on Wong too made them incredibly testing conditions. And if it had been a flat out and back course, it would have been incredibly testing conditions. Uh, but when you add to that a, a parkour which was incredibly difficult to work out how to pace yourself on, you know, long drags, long exposed sections, descents, uh, it, it had everything. What we got was actually a, a real time trial masterclass. This was where the the superbly strong time trialist in great condition could come to the fore and that's exactly what we saw from Tom Dumoulin put on uh, a, a rear disc which all of the riders did I mean I, I heard a lot of people saying there were risks with putting a disc on and in fact Tom mentioned it himself I've never even noticed, you know, other than a slight tug at the rear end of the bike, a disc being a huge problem in the wind because there's a lot of weight over it. You know, even if you're a whippet of a cyclist, most of your weight is going over that rear disc. But Tom, who usually races with a tri-spokero front wheel, which is, you know, a very, very fast one, went for his, his standard road Dura C50 rim. Loads of spokes, 50, you know, 50 millimetre deep rim. And that's so that when the wind hit, as we saw, particularly with Roman Bardi, I mean, there were some terrifying shots of Roman Bardi getting blown across the road. Um, that slightly shallower rim meant that you weren't pulled quite as much as you would be with a larger surface area of a tri-spoke. And we saw some of the riders, Chris Froome, Richie Port, go with a shallower rim even than you'd expect them to use in a normal road bike. So the wind provoked some interesting uh, componentry decisions. But what it also did was tested just how brave they were and how much they wanted it. Because every second you were off those tri-bars, you're losing time. And a lot of the guys that we watched just, you know, they hung on to the bullhorns all the way around because they were too scared. So it was a test of courage and a test of equipment choice and uh, and time trial pacing. And I loved it. I've got to say, I expected you to have not watched it and expect me to talk, you know, throughout the entire show because you hate time trials. But it was, it was an interesting day. And I think we saw some questions answered and we saw the GC completely shaken up. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a bit harsh saying I, I hate time trials. And no, I you do. I mean, the number of times we, oh God, it's a time trial. What am I going to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's probably fairer to, to say that they don't excite me as much as, <laughs> as other types of stages. And, and I certainly would never not watch it simply because it's a time trial. Uh, although, as I said earlier, it was it was difficult to, to summon up the enthusiasm for it, given events else, elsewhere. Like yourself, I, I did notice that the big mistake of the day seemed to be from anyone who chose a three-spoke wheel going out, you yeah. could see immediately that that was the wrong choice and they were going to get blown right across the, the road in, in very, very challenging conditions. But to the riders that, I mean, obviously Tom de Milan showing again what a fantastic time trialist he is, especially in this type of train, we, we saw how well he he is able to climb and this by no means was was a flat as a pancake time trial. Oh, no. um, there was some more than rolling uh, parkour to be uh, taken and on board but to to the riders that in terms of gc you could say were were winners we have to look to to people like like chris Froome, bauke Mollema and, and adam yates and riders that you have to say had a disappointing day were certainly naira quintana and i'm not sure whether fabio aru stopped to have a th- you know a 14 course jacobean banquet while he was out <laughs> on on the the route today but certainly it would it was classed as a very very disappointing day for him 
Yeah, big losers are uh, Richie Port, who lost three oh eight. Um if you look at Roman Bardi, he lost nearly four minutes. I mean, a strong, strong climber. He's been really impressive. He was riding what appeared to be a, a modified Focus uh, Kyle road bike as opposed to one of the dedicated time trial machines. I don't know if that was because of, you know, he was worried about the the larger cross-section of the tubes and a pure time trial machine being affected by the wind. Nairo Quintana at 3.08 lost a lot of time. But to be honest, they were... <sighs> Nairo particularly, it was a pretty respectable performance. Um, you know, he's small, he's light. The conditions must have been hellish for him. He held his position well throughout the race. At one point in a descent, I think, I saw him clocked at about 90 kilometres an hour. So he clearly wasn't holding back. But the simple truth is, if you were light today, you were at a disadvantage. We saw Richie Port go out with an incredibly shallow rim, uh, went out too hard in the wind, I think, and then blew at the back end. So he's he's lost another two minutes to Chris Froome, three minutes back in the winner. But the big, big performance for me, to, for me today was Bauke Mollema. I mean, I saw you tweet, you know, if, if Bert doesn't get his finger out, he'll be uh, Bauke's bitch next year. And this is this is a career-defining performance for Bauke Mollema, I think. We've seen him be impressive in the climbs before. We knew he was a de- decent tester. But now he's right up there at the sharp end of the race. You know, Trek Segafredo must be absolutely delighted. And that's the time trial of his life. A brilliant performance from Mollema. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, John Burkett at Trek or, or Joe Vadabonkor, who's more responsible for, for the team at, at the very top, isn't picking up the phone to Pinto Spain right now and going, Alberto! About that price we offered you! About that contract! <laughs> <laughs> How are you on speaking terms with, with uh, Oleg at the minute? How's it going with that? Yeah. Because Baukamolomov's performance, I think, and I have had cause to, to mention it, you know, that I've been pleasantly surprised by how well Mollum is performing. We've seen him in previous tours do well. Yeah, but, and after you know, yesterday, he should have been far further up the GC. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> that's another talking matter. And, and indeed, Trek Segafredo complained about the fact that essentially after everything shook out yesterday, it was Mollema who suffered the most mm-hmm. for trying to get himself back up and, and racing uh, quicker than, than anyone. So I, I can understand why they felt somewhat aggrieved by that. But um, to today's performance, you're right, I think it is a, car- a career-defining one and he will be the one now that has to be watched very, very closely as to how he performs when we come to the Alps. I mean, if, if memory serves, and I would need to go back to it, he has done well in the Alps before. Mm-hmm. I think the trouble has been that he's not been able to sustain the Alpine performance throughout the three weeks, but certainly on on the evidence of a, of a stonking time trial this afternoon, he must be on cloud nine, sitting second in GC. I mean, yes, the time gap is, is fairly substantial, but it's not an insurmountable amount of time given what we saw from him yesterday. Yeah, I mean, he was he was prepared to be in that absolutely elite group at the front yesterday looked to me very very capable of, of raising an attack as the as the stage came towards its denouement yesterday the time trial that's left is an uphill time trial we know he can climb we've seen him climbing with the best so i think um you know the other day team sky talked about worrying about the opponent 
And at the time, they were clearly talking about Nairo Quintana. I think they have to shift that to thinking about Bauka Molomo. Um, you know, you're, you're going to get a lot of people today with the GC uh, split that we see um, after the time trial played out, saying that's it, you know, it's all going to bed, you know, the tour's over. But there's still a lot of hard racing to go. And I'm not going to be naive enough to think that, you know, oh, t- We'll get a fantastic fight in the Alps. We might not, you know, it, it may be over and done, but if you if you absolutely guarantee that, I think you're mistaken. But Bukamolam has now put himself in a very serious situation where, you know, he's within touching distance of, you know, certainly he's going to get a podium unless he cracks, but he's within touching distance of the yellow jersey and they'll be racing really, really hard. The other person who impressed me a great deal today, largely because he's a bit of an unknown... Um, element in you know a big time trial at this stage in one of the, one of the grand tours let alone the tour de france was adam yates of great britain uh, solidified his position in the white jersey at 301 was in the same time as uh, you know luke durbridge only marginally slower than tj van garden and alejandro valverde so pulled a really strong time trial uh, finished ahead in Iro quintana it's it's got to be said that for Adam Yates again, just as with Bukamolama, this is a, a career defining tour. Even if he cracks at some point now, which he's showing no indication of doing so, we have to assume that uh, Orica Greenage are looking at him. Other teams are looking at him. He's taken a step up to be a contender in the GG. Yeah, absolutely. And and given his age, I think if he did crack going into this, I mean, we've talked about it from the word go, the tour is backloaded towards an immensely difficult third week. So mm-hmm. like you were saying, John, anybody that's saying this is over needs to just go back and look at the roadbook and have a, a, a quick glance at the, the stages that the riders have yet to tackle and see that quite literally anything could happen, given the the farce that we, we saw yesterday. And I, I'm Keen to underline that quite literally anything could happen. But if, if Adam isn't able to sustain it for the final week, I don't think that says anything about his future as a Grand Tour rider. I think what he's done up until this point is laudable in the extreme for a guy of his age coming to the biggest race in, in the world and, and facing immense competition from some of the best, if not the best riders in the world. With Bauka Mollema, I, I think we're, we're looking at not maybe not the, the finished article, but the, the rider that he has always looked to become. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said a moment or so ago, he has impressed in the mountains before, but it's just that sustaining performance across three weeks that is the difference between a very good rider and a Grand Tour rider. Um, so to, to me, I think Bauka's performance is the one that's more interesting to watch, but Adams is the one, the one that is more exciting in terms of the future of, of the Tour de France. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's also um, a couple of other performances I'd like to touch on, uh, largely because people have been talking to, to me about them via email and, and Twitter and DMs and that sort of thing. One is Geraint Thomas. I saw Kelly and wondering why he went so strong in today's time trial. Um, finished in seventh place, only two minutes back. I mean, within 57 seconds of his team leader, Chris Froome. And mentioning those two names together is important because I'm pretty sure that what Geraint Thomas was doing was essentially being, um, you know, the avalanche poodle for Chris Froome, where he sent out to test the water make sure everything's fine, get all the splits, check the equipment out, you know, get the best pacing strategies for certain bits of the course. So he was out there essentially as a hare for Chris Froome to use uh, to develop. That resulted in, in him having a fantastic time trial. 
And the other one where a lot of people were disappointed was with Tony Martin, who looked strong, um, but you know it didn't perform quite as well as people expected him to. Think of the amount of work he's been doing for Dan Martin, you know, because he's been working like a Trojan for his team leader, uh, be it you know Marcel Kittel or um, you know Dan Martin in, in the weeks up to now. Uh, he's just tired. I mean, he just looked tired today. And as with Fabian Cancellara. Um, you know, you can be the best time trialist in the world if you've been working uh, at the service of your team leader. It blunts your edge, and all you need for these absolute tip-top guys to to look not ordinary but human is for that you know two three percent to be knocked off the top of their form. It's because they've been working incredibly hard. Uh, so I think actually Tony Martin did a, a good ride. Um, another guy who didn't do a good ride though is his teammate Dan Martin. Yeah, not the best of days for Dan Martin and in a stage that he probably would have hoped to, to do well given how how good his performance has been up until this point. He must be really disappointed with coming in 33rd, 4 minutes 10 down on uh, winner Tom Dumoulin and that, of course, has a, a massive impact on, on his ability to, to even hang on to the GC place he was, that he had. I mean, he was only 15 seconds faster than Fabio Aru, for God's sake. I mean, that, it's, I mean I'm being facetious, but if Dan Martin's ever going to do well in a time trial, it's going to be either an uphill one that we have towards the back end of this race or, you know, a hilly one that uh, requires great bike handling, which is, you know, what we had today. I think it was a disappointing result for Dan. I think he's maybe just gone off the boil a wee bit. He was a wee bit disappointing yesterday in Vong 2. Um, he's still going to get a really solid finish at the Tour de France, and he's performed absolutely magnificently up to now. But um, I think in the end, he's going to slot in roughly where we expected him to be once we arrive in Paris. And and I think that, you know, you mentioned that the next time trial which we get, I think, on stage 18 from, from memory, is that uphill time trial. And yes, he is going to do well there. We know he's a solid climber. But if you look at who's around him in GC at the minute, from Molmer, Yates, Quintana, Valverde, Van Garderen, Bardi, Richie Port, Fabio Aru, they're all solid climbers as well. So it's not like he's going to gain any advantage from being a strong climber when it comes to a, a strong climber's time trial. You yeah. would have hoped for, for Dan Martin's sake that he would have come in with some manner of parity with the guys round about him. But instead, as, as you point out, he's he's lost a fair bit of time today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's now, what, sitting five minutes back? Um, yeah. There's no way you're getting five minutes back on Chris Froome, bar an incident. Um, so, you know, his his hopes of, of GC uh, glory are gone. And to be honest, you know, he's three minutes off Adam Yates to even get on the podium now, which I think might be insurmountable for him unless he has a really magic day. So I think we're going to see Dan, I think he'll improve a wee bit from ninth where he sits after today, but I'd expect him to slot in the kind of fifth or sixth position where, you know, I think we expected him to be from the start. And to Fabio Aru, who sits only, as you say, a few seconds below him on GC, is it over for for Astana? I mean, we talked in previous shows about, you know, we've talked a lot actually in previous shows about waiting and, and a plan that has yet to coalesce around a, a particular rider or, or rather a plan that we've yet to see, uh, maybe again waiting for this magical and difficult third week. 
can we really say that Astana have anything to to offer that? No, nah, there's no kind of plan. I mean, you'd have to wait till about uh, you'll have to wait till Article Fifty's invoked before Astana have a plan for this tour. I mean, it's just it's they're going. I mean, five minutes back, there's no way they're going to be able to ambush Chris Froome or anything. Um, you know, Vincenzo Nibali looks increasingly uninterested. He did a passable time trial today, but you know. He doesn't care. Um, Fabio Aru, I think, was always a bit of a stretch as a, a GC leader for the tour, um, and I think he's he's just performing just as with Dan Martin. Actually, I think he's, he's slotting in exactly where we would expect him to be. Um, I think Astana will not be able to pull this back as the as the tour reaches its uh, its climax. I think they're just it's a disappointing race for them. I've, I also want to mention, just in terms of, of disappointment, Pierre Roland, who has done absolutely nothing. And I, I don't mean to be kicking a rider when he's down, but I'm, I'm just referring by, or I was given cause to refer back to comments that were made by Cannondale across the winter. And this exaltation about Pierre Roland being an absolute revelation to them that he was suffering under the yoke of the French training system and now he's come to the new world and it's all happy and rosy in the garden and by that fact we're seeing a transformed rider and just you wait, just you wait and see what's going to happen at the tour. Well the answer is actually worse than we normally see Pierre Roland performing the tour Unfortunately, yeah, he he just doesn't have it, um, and I mean, I think the big problem for you know for that entire team is they don't have the money. We've seen some standout performances from them, particularly Joe Dombrowski in the, the Tour de Suisse, where you know he, he towed Talansky, um, and actually Andrew Talansky did a decent ride there as well. So towed is maybe a bit pejorative, but he he did some really great work for his team leader in the Tour de Suisse. When you've got such a limited budget compared to the big guys, you know you don't have the payroll to to get really big hitters into the team and I think Pierre Roland was um, he was affordable and yet I'm pretty sure they looked at his numbers and looked at the training he'd, he'd previously done in Europe car and thought they could get you know, a big improvement out of him it appears they were wrong so the top 10s for today's stage. Tom de Milan takes the win ahead of Chris Froome by 1 minute and 3 seconds. Nelson Oliveira from Movistar was in 3rd at 1 minute 31. Jerome Coppel from EAM Cycling was in 4th at 1.35. BMC's Rohan Dennis finished in 5th at 1.41. Bauke finished in 6th at 1.54. Geraint Thomas in 7th at exactly 2 minutes. While Jan Isaguer from Movistar finished in 8th at 2 minutes and 2. Tony Martin finished in ninth at 2 minutes and 5 and rounding out the top 10 for the day was Steve Cummings from Dimension Data at 2 minutes and 24. So the general classification after stage 13 is Chris Froome still in yellow ahead of Bauke Mollema now by 1 minute and 47. In third place is Adam Yates at 2 minutes and 45. Nairo Quintana is in fourth at 2 minutes and 59. Alejandro Valverde is in fifth at 3 minutes 17. Tiji van Garderen sits in sixth at 3 minutes and 19. Roman Bardet is in seventh at 4 minutes and 4. Richie Port is in eighth at 4.27. Dan Martin in ninth at five minutes and three and rounding out the top ten is Fabio Aru at five minutes and sixteen. Tomorrow's stage 14 is not only the dictionary definition of the transfer stage, but it is also the transfer that brings the peloton to the front door of the Alps and the hellish challenges that await there. 
However, on the 208.5 kilometres from Montélimar to Villard de Dombla par Doiseau, the questions will be which of the day's early break will stick and will it be strong enough to deny the sprinters a late chance of a win in this year's event? Do you know, we've also got that great uh, intangible which we suffered for the last three days, which is, what's the wind going to do tomorrow? Because that will have a profound effect on, you know, whether the brake sticks away, um, how, the, how the entire stage is raced. But with the final climb so far from the finish, I mean, it's, it's absolutely bloody miles, miles and miles from the finish. I've got to say, I'm, my money's in a sprinter stage. I think we'll see the GC guys sit back before the big challenges of the upcoming weekend. I think we'll see a lot of tired legs after even the truncated Vontu and, you know, the time trial. Even guys that rode at Temple will still have had quite a hard day in those conditions today. So I think we might see the peloton just take a breath, sit back and think... We'll give one to the sprinters today, and you know that would be good. Um, a lot of these guys have stuck far longer than I expected them to. I'm looking at you, Mark Cavendish. So they deserve a wee reward before their legs get really hurt at the weekend. I I agree with you there. Although I th- I think perhaps one thing that may tilt it towards the the uh, the brake managing to stick is indeed the tiredness of the peloton and indeed the sprinters teams may on a very windy day not be able to get organised mm-hmm. enough and have the strength to, to continually battle. I mean I suppose that would also affect the, the breakaway but I mean I'm looking at those two fourth category climbs that you mentioned coming at, at 93 and 101 kilometres and you're right, they are, you know, not even halfway in, into the stage and it's not as if it's pan flat following that. So given it doesn't actually level out until at least three quarters of the way through the stage, yes, it, I suppose that does bring it back to being in favour of the, the sprinters teams managing to to pull back a, a, a breakaway that will find it difficult. But you know me, I, I do like to see the breakaway succeed once in a while. No, so do I. And I mean, I would love to see it succeed, but I just have a feeling that tomorrow we're going to see, um, you know, the sprinters giving their head in, in the finale. Um, and with that in mind, I'm going to get in first with Mark Cavendish. <laughs> well, that was very wise of you because I was also going to go for Mark Cavendish <laughs> if it is indeed a day for the sprinters. So for just for that reason, I, I'd like to see Andre Greipel take a stage because he hasn't done so yet. And he's, his efforts... At the foot of Mont Ventoux yesterday, which actually now I consider it seems like a lifetime ago, mm. were, were fantastic and, and I think he, he deserves something from, from this tour. Although he's always the one to, to leave it to the last and, and win on the Champs-Élysées itself. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go for, for Andre. Good choice, good choice. Well, thank you for joining us today where events elsewhere largely overshadowed the bike racing. But bike racing in its own small way demonstrated that life must go on and do so while paying respect to those who have lost that most precious and precarious of things, life itself.